chapters 2 and 3. Now turn to chapter 2, but in those first or the second, third chapter of Revelation, Jesus gave a message to the Apostle John for John to give to the seven churches located in Asia Minor. And it was a state of the church address, if you will. It's kind of like the president gives a state of the union address. Jesus gave a state of the church address to John to give to the pastors of the seven churches of the book of Revelation as found in chapters 2 and 3. And today I want to look at the state of the church 2,000 years ago by looking at some of these churches listed in Revelation 2 and 3. And then I want to give you the modern day state of the church address. Now, two of the seven churches in Revelation, the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, received no correction from Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be a Christian, to be a church that Jesus took a look at and he, he, he had nothing but good to say? Wouldn't that be wonderful? So two of the seven churches received no correction from from the Lord. However, the other five churches received correction from Jesus. Now, even though some of them did have some good things going on in them, Jesus still had some words of correction for them. And and Jesus praised the good. He he, uh, commended them for the good, but then he had some things that he wanted them to correct. So let's briefly look at some of these churches. Now here in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1, notice to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now that word angel, he's not writing a letter to an angel. He, this word angel means messenger. I, you wouldn't write a letter to an angel. He was writing to the pastor of the church. You know the pastor is held responsible for the church. You need to realize that for the local church and what goes on in the local church. And so we could say to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now those stars were symbolic of the pastors who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And those lampstands were symbolic of the churches. Verse two, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Now, now that's all good, isn't that? It's all good. How many like a report like that from Jesus? That would be good. But you know, a man of God and certainly our Lord Jesus doesn't just have positive, good things to say all the time. Now, I'm warning you. I've told you before. I'll tell you again. Be watchful of somebody that stands behind a pulpit and all they ever have to say is positive things. I'm telling you they're not of God. Boy, that that never goes over good, but it's the truth. Now, a, a man of God will have good things to say. But they're, if, they're, if all they're ever saying is positive, encouraging things, if that's all they ever say all the time, they're not sent from God. You okay? Verse 4. See, Jesus didn't stop verse 3. 
Nevertheless, real loud say nevertheless. nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, who's our first love? Jesus. And so they had a lot of good things going on in that church. But, you know, you can do a lot of good things and lose your closeness with Jesus. Did you know that? I didn't say lose your salvation. I said lose your close walk with Jesus. A lot of people do this. They get so busy working for God that they lose their closeness with God. And so he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Then verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And then what's that next word? Real loud, say it with everything you got. Repent. Repent and do the first works. What's those next two words or else? So did Jesus have good things to say to this church? Yes. But then he also had some correction and he said, repent or or else. He says, I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you what? Unless you repent. What does repent mean? Repent does not mean to have a crying spell. Repent doesn't mean to just feel sorry about something. There may be some crying. There's certainly feeling sorry. But repent is, say this, say a change of heart. It's a change of heart and it's a going in a new direction. Now, as you study history, this church didn't ultimately repent. And some hundred years later, Jesus shut this church down. He removed the lampstand. And he shut it down. I don't want Jesus shutting this church down, do you? But he warned them. Did he just have good things to say? No. Did he just have correction? No, there was both, wasn't there? There was both. Now in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18, let's look at the church in Thyatira. To the angel, messenger, pastor of the church of Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. That's all good, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? There's that word again. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Did Jesus just have positive stuff to say here? He said, I have a few things against you because... You, the the pastor, has allowed that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Was there sexual immorality going on within that church? Was the pastor allowing it, evidently? Did he allow false teaching to go on in the church? Yeah. Was there idolatry in the church? Yeah. What is idolatry? Anytime you put anything ahead of God. How many of you know God must be first? The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost must be first. And so Jesus is correcting them. And he says in verse 21, I gave her time to what? Isn't, Isn't God good? He gives us time, doesn't he? He gives us time to repent. He said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not what? She didn't repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Now, now listen. How many of you know there's the goodness of God and there's the judgment of God? 
The book of Romans says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Now, around here, we emphasize the goodness. The goodness of God should be emphasized, but I always teach on the judgment of God as well because you must have both of them in proper perspective. If all you hear is the goodness of God, you'll become lackadaisical in your Christian walk. If all you hear is the judgment of God, you'll foster an unhealthy fear of God. You need to hear them both. The goodness of God, but there's also the judgment of God. There's also the severity of God. There's both. And here you see, God gives this this church, this, this person, time to repent. But if, they, if she doesn't repent, then the, the judgment's going to come. And actually, as you study Scripture out, God, it, it, what, what He'll do in judgment very oft times is He'll remove His hand. And when He move, removes His hand of protection, that is the judgment of God, and then the devil's allowed to come in and bring sickness and disease. So God's not going around putting sickness on people. You understand that. But when God judges somebody, He gives them time to repent. He'll remove His hand, and then the destroyer is able to come in and get at them. He said, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they what? Unless they what? Unless they what? Repent of their deeds. Now, I mean, Jesus didn't stop with just in verse 19 with just the good stuff, did he? He he commended for the good, but then there were some things there that weren't right. And then he called for repentance. And if there's no repentance, then there's going to be judgment. The state of the church here, 2,000 years ago. Verse 23, he says, I'll kill her children with death. Now, the word children there, study it out. It doesn't mean little babies. It's talking about those who follow this false doctrine. And there again, there's the judgment of God. God's not a killer, but I believe he'll remove his hand of protection and the, the devil's allowed to get in. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to remove his hand of protection from me. He says, I'll kill, I'll kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I'll give to each one according to your works. Was there sexual immorality going on in this church? Yeah. You know there's sexual, sexual immorality going on among Christians in this land, in this nation. Uh, it, it, it would boggle you, your mind to realize how much sexual immorality is going on. I'm talking among church people in this land. One reason for it is, is that Pastors, they don't want to stand up and with all the love in the heart that they have, call sin, sin. You know, we need to, as men of God, we ought to call sin, sin. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'm not here to put anybody down, but if you're here and you're, you're, you're not married and you're having sexual uh, uh, relations, you're committing sin. I said you're committing sin. Do you understand that? And it's not only going on in the pew, it's going on in pulpits. All over this, all over this land, pastors having affairs with women in their church. How many of you know that should not ought to be? How many of you know sometimes pastors having affairs with men in their church? My God help us. How many of you know we ought to love homosexuals, but how many of you know the Bible says homosexuality is sin? Is that right? Is that right? 
Look at, look at here, ver, chapter 3, verse 1. To the, to the angel or the pastor of the church in Sardis, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's talking about the seven spirits of God. There's only one Holy Spirit, but the complete work of the Holy Spirit is sevenfold. I don't have time to get into that. And the seven stars, that's the pastors. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are what? Well, having a name that you're alive, but you're really dead, that's hypocrites, isn't it? They were being hypocritical. They had a name that they were alive. They had a name that they were on fire for God. They had a name, but you know, a name only isn't enough. You know, talking, it's one thing, but walking, it's something else. It's not enough to have a name that you're alive and, and, and be dead. These people had a name that they were alive. State of the church here 2,000 years ago. This church in Sardis had a name that they were alive. But in actuality, they were, they were dead. They were hypocrites. They were saying one thing and doing another. They were coming to the church probably and saying hallelujah, praise the Lord. But going out in their everyday life and not living for God. How many of you know if all you do is live for God at church, you've got nothing? Anybody, anybody can live for God at church. That's not, the, that's not the test. Living for God, you're, you ought, the test is living for God when nobody else is looking at home. Is that right? Are you alright? And he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast. And what is that next word? Repent. Is Jesus just sprinkling these people with good things? When there's good things to be commended, he commends them. And he always commends first. But then... If there's things that need to be corrected, he points them out. Look at chapter 3 here. Look at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Talking about Jesus is talking to these people. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Is that pretty strong? We have people here, we have a church. What state of the church 2,000 years ago? Lukewarmness. Not wanting to take a stand for anything. He's talking to a pastor here that he needs to get his church straightened out. And this pastor would come in the pulpit and he would not take a stand for anything. He wasn't hot. He wasn't cold. He was what? He was lukewarm. And when the pastor gets lukewarm, you know, that spreads to the church. You understand that? And Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus said it'd be better, in his view, it'd be better to be cold than be lukewarm. Take a stand. Real loud say, take a stand. See, when a minister walks in the pulpit and you as Christians, we ought to all know what we believe concerning the word of God and we ought to take a stand on it. 
minister, you know, I'm not here to be judgmental of anybody, but I'm just, I'm talking about the state of the church. A minister, when he stands in a pulpit and you as a Christian, as you walk your Christian life, we ought to be able to stand here and, and take a stand on the word of God. When somebody asks us, how, uh, how do you get saved? We ought to tell them, according to the word of God, the only way to be saved is to repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He's not the best way. He's not just a way. He is the only way to get to God the Father. Can you say amen? He's the only way. Not just a way or the best way. If he's a way, if Jesus is a way, then there could be other ways. Is that right? If Jesus is the best way, then there could be other ways. No, he's not a way to God. He's not the best, uh, the, the best way. He's, say this, say he's the only way. Say he's the only way. Say it again, he's the only way. That's what the Bible says. And I put all my marbles in the basket of the word of God. Now, I'm not going to put down anybody else that wants to believe something else. I'm not going to put them down. I'm not going to, you know, put them down and and persecute them. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to stand on the word of God and I'm going to lovingly tell the truth of the word of God. Because I'm not going to be lukewarm and I'm not going to let this church be lukewarm. Pastor, if you'll get in the pulpit and say that Jesus is the best way and just preach positive things all the time, you could be running three services on Sunday morning packed full of people. I'll shut this church down first before I do that. Did you get what I just said? I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, if you'll just get in the pulpit and just be positive all the time, 100% of the time, you could have three services on Sunday morning full of people. But you have to say that Jesus is the best way. You have to be positive all the time. You can never talk about the severity of God. Before I change this church and do that, I'll put the padlock on the door. Can anybody say amen? Because I don't want that kind of a church. I want a church that, in, that, that from this pulpit, it encourages people, it lifts them up, but also that, it, that, that, that a pulpit that will teach the truth of the word of God. And if correction needs to come forth, that it'll come forth. You understand that? I'm not talking about calling people out and embarrassing them individually. I've never done that. But I'm just talking in a general way, preaching from the pulpit and preaching the goodness of God and emphasizing the goodness of God. But if, but if, the, if, if something's not right, we need to be able to stand here and talk about the judgment of of God and call people to repentance. That's the kind of church this has always been and that's the kind of church this will always be. Do you understand that? And to change from that, I'll shut it down first. Because I would rather have a church that preaches the truth than one that compromises. Do you understand that? So that's the state of the church some 2,000 years ago. Now I want to talk to you about the state of the church in the here and now. And this, what I'm about to give you, is not just something that I made up, not just something that I, I think. It is something that I've observed. But when I read this survey done by George Barna, he, he, he is a researcher who conducts very accurate surveys, he tends to study the Christian environment, 
And in 2010, that's last year, he conducted a survey of Christianity here in the United States. And so based on his findings, I want to give you the state of the Christian church in the United States as it is today. Now, his survey showed how the Christian church in the United United States of America is changing. His research showed the following five things. And I want you to listen to these. Listen carefully. Please listen. Number one, the church is becoming less interested in biblical teaching and more desirous of learning practical solutions for success in life. The church is becoming less interested in biblical teaching and more desirous of learning practical solutions for success in life. Now, one thing the Lord corrected me on over a year ago, you know the Lord corrects me. (laughs) Has he been correcting you? I get concerned when he's not corrected me. The Bible says if we're not If we're without chastisement, then we're illegitimate and not real children of God. One thing he corrected me on over a year ago was to teach the Bible in a more practical way. Now, if you had attended here at Summit Church back over a year ago, it was much like attending a Bible college. And I would give all biblical facts and figures but there was not much in the way of everyday application of the word of God. And that's one thing the Lord wanted me to do, and, I, and I've made that adjustment, is to continue to teach the word of God and, and, and certainly have biblical facts and figures, but I need to be able to bring it across in a way that you can take it and apply it to your everyday life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and I needed that correction. Be watchful of attending a church where the pastor can't stand in front of his congregation and say that the Lord corrected him. The Lord will... You understand? I said that one back over a year ago. I stood here right as we began 2010 and I said the Lord corrected me on a few things. And we had one lady, she got mad and left because she said, essentially she said, I want a perfect pastor. If the Lord has to correct you, then you're not perfect. I'm standing here to tell you I'm not perfect. I can miss it. How about you? You don't want to go to a church where the pastor says I can never miss it. But I needed to begin to share the word of God with you in such a way that you could apply it to your everyday life. And so so there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem, as I see it, is not in teaching the Bible in a more practical way, but when Christians say, don't teach me the Bible, just tell me how I can be successful in life and entertain me while you're doing it. And that is what is going on in this land. I don't know if you realize it or not. Don't teach me the Bible. Just tell me how I can be successful in life and entertain me while you're doing it. That's one reason I've had, I've had people leave here over the years, in recent days. Because essentially they say, don't teach me the Bible, pastor. Just tell me how I can be successful and entertain me while I do it. First of all, God hasn't called me as an entertainer. He's called me as a minister of the gospel. 
So if you've come here to be entertained by the worship team or to be entertained by me, this isn't the place for you because this worship team is not here to entertain you. It's here to lead you in worship to God. As a minister, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to lovingly teach you the word of God so that you can apply it to your everyday life and then as a result, be successful in life. I don't know how you can be successful in life, really, truly successful, if you don't apply the word of God. You don't want me to stop teaching the word of God. Can you say amen? Second Timothy three, I'm sorry, second Timothy four, verse three. Let's go there. Second Timothy four, verse three. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Bible. Second Timothy four, verse three in the Amplified Bible says the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction. But having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold and will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. That's where we're at now in this nation. The church less interested in biblical teaching, but more interested in, Pastor, entertain me. Entertain me. And just tell me how I can be successful. Don't teach me the word of God. I'm bored by the word of God. Don't teach me that. But just tell me something and do it as quick as you can, as entertaining as you can, to make me successful in life. Uh, You don't want a, a pastor like that. You'd be better off really not going to church at all than to have to come and have a pastor like that. See, this is where I draw the line. I will continue to teach the word of God in a practical way, but there will be teaching of the word of God in this pulpit as long as I have breath in my lungs. I don't want you ever to come to this church to be entertained. Now then, Barna's second Second point. Second point. And this is a result of the first point. What was the first point again? What was the first point again? The church is becoming less interested in what? Biblical teaching and more desirous of learning practical solutions for success in life. Just tell me how I can have my best life now, Pastor. Just tell me that. Well, I'll tell you how you can have your best life now. Get in the Word of God. And let God correct you if he needs to correct you. And repent if you need to repent. And then you'll have your best life now. Can you say amen? And not only now, but tomorrow. But number two, as a result of this first thing, here's number two. The church is becoming less and less literate of the Bible. I said the church is becoming less and less literate of the Bible. I'm talking about the state of the church in the United States. The church is becoming less and less literate of the Bible. Now look at Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Go there if you would. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the what? Of the what? Of the of the what? Elementary principles. Now, what does elementary mean? It means elementary. It means basic. It means simple. Right? Doesn't it mean that? 
Now, here's what the elementary principles of Christ are. He says, he says, therefore, leaving these now, because he'd been teaching on them, he said, okay, now it's time to, to leave them. Let us go on to perfection or on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of. Now he's going to tell us what the elementary principles are. Repentance from dead works. Well, when you teach repentance from dead works, that's elementary. Faith toward God, that's elementary. The doctrine of baptisms, that's elementary. You ought to know there's three baptisms. The first one is the one that gets you into heaven when when you give your heart to Jesus and the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. Then after you're saved and on your way to heaven, there's a water baptism. You understand that? And then... And then there's a baptism in the Holy Ghost that the Bible talks about. Three. That's elementary. I said that's elementary. Christians ought to be able to to quote these in your sleep. The, The laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. What do you mean laying on of hands? Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe in one of those signs. He said in my name the believer will lay hands on the sick and they'll what? Recover. And then there's some other instances of laying on of hands. I won't get into those for the sake of time this morning. But the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. How many of you know there's going to be a resurrection of the dead? How many of you know the Bible talks about the rapture of the church? You understand that? And then, and then, and then the Bible talks about the resurrection of the just and the unjust and, and so on. But you ought to be able to under, you ought to be able to know some things about these resurrections. And of eternal judgment. How many of you know there is eternal judgment? There is a heaven above, but there's also a what? A hell beneath. Is that right? But these, listen, these are the elementary principles of Christ. If you don't know what these are, you are illiterate of the Bible. Did you hear what I just said? If you can't, if you can't state these, you're illiterate of the Bible. Now, why can't people state these? I'm convinced it's because pastors don't stand in a pulpit as they should and teach these things. Because we're too busy trying to entertain people and make them feel good for 20 minutes and get them out before the Baptists, who who we love dearly, get to the McDonald's. Is that right? I mean, and if that kind of kicks you in the shins, when I say if you can't quote these, you're, you're illiterate of the Bible, you know, I, I'm glad I've kicked you in the shins. You want a pastor that's going to step on your toes by the Spirit of God. If you can't quote these, then you ought to, this for 2011, by the time we get to the end of 2011, you ought to get to the point where you can quote these and know some things about these. These are elementary principles. Yeah, pastor, I don't have time to... Listen, you don't have time not to understand these things. Did you hear me? I've had people say to me that they would not attend Summit Church because I was too deep. You're too deep, pastor. You're too deep in your teaching when you teach about these things. You're too deep. No, they don't understand. They've just revealed that they're, that they're spiritually immature. Listen, these are not the deep things of God. These are the elementary things of God. But the state of the church is becoming less and less literate of the Bible. My God, it's time that we, we become literate of the Bible. Can, can you say amen? 
Now, number three, the church is becoming more ingrown and less outreach oriented. This is according to Barna, not me. This is what he said. But I've observed this. Now, this is another place where the Lord corrected me about a year, a little over a year ago. You need to realize that there's two, there are basically two types of, of churches that you will find. Notice in Matthew 28, 19, go there quickly. Matthew 28, 19, go there quickly. You know, the Great Commission that Jesus gave before he ascended up on high, after he was raised from the dead to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember, he said to the disciples, he said, go into all the world and what? And preach the gospel. Is that right? But you see, people, that, that is known as the Great Commission, but that's just one side of it. That's Mark's side of it. In fact, hold your place in Matthew 28. Real quick, go to Mark 16. Go to Mark 16, verse 15, because I want you to see this. Go to Mark 16, verse 15. Then we'll go back to Matthew 28. But look at this. He said to them, Jesus said to them, Mark 16, 15, go into where? All the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. He who believes is baptized be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. That, that's the Great Commission. But that's Mark's account of it. But you know, Matthew also gave an account of it. Now, Matthew 28, 19. Look at this. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19. He said, go therefore, go where? Into the world is the implication. And make what? Make what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, that's Matthew's account of the Great Commission, which leads us basically to two kinds of churches that you find. One kind of church is basically Mark's account where they're very outreach-oriented. A lot of times the mega, the bigger churches, tend to be this way. They're very outreach-oriented. They're reaching out to save the lost and, and preach the gospel to the lost. And that's one reason that they're, that they're, they're mega churches is because they're getting people saved. Isn't that wonderful? Then there's the other kind of church, which tends to be a little smaller in nature, which is Matthew's side of it, where they're making disciples. And that's kind of what this church has been over the last 15 years, or 16 years, 15 years, is that we, we've, we've made disciples, we've taught the word, we've taught the word, we'll keep doing that, we've made disciples, but we haven't done much in the way of outreach. And the Lord got on me a little over a year ago and he said he wanted me to correct that. And so we've begun to correct that. And some people say you either have one church or the other. You either have the church that reaches out and is large or you have the smaller church where where you're just training and teaching people but you're not reaching out. Friends, I don't know why we can't have both. Come on, get on fire. with Catch hold with me on this. I don't want God to remove the lampstand from this church. I don't want God to shut this place down. Why can't we have a church that does both? Why can't we have a church that's outreach minded, that we want to reach out into this community, that we want to get sinners saved? Why can't we do that? And also when those sinners come in, teach them and train them the word of God. Why can't we do both? I think we can do both. I think this church can be a church that does both. What do you say? 
I don't think you have to be one or the other. You can be both. But I need some people that, that, that'll get on fire and connect with me on this and let's work together to this end. Do you understand that? I, I, I had, I had several people about a, a year or so ago in this last year, actually, in this last year, got mad and walked away because they didn't want to reach out in the community. Isn't that sad? You know, you can't do much with people that don't want to reach out and get the sinner saved. You wouldn't think you'd have Christians that, that wouldn't want to grow and reach out. But I had people get mad at me when I said about a year ago, we need to reach out more into this community and we need to share the goodness and the love of the Lord Jesus with people in this community. I got people mad and left. You know why that? Because they want church just to be a little deal for them. This has to be more than just about you and me. I said this has to be more than just about you and me. Did you hear me? So the Lord directed us and we, we've put some billboards up. Has anybody seen those billboards we've stuck up here and there around town? That's one way we're reaching out. We're doing mailings now to new people that move into the area, just inviting them to church. And, and I want to call on you as your pastor. I want to call on you to lovingly invite people to come to church. You see, what a lot of times people think is that, well, you know, the church organization ought to be the one reaching out. No, listen, here's the, this is the way it works. I equip you. I teach you the word of God. I equip you. And then you go out and you tell people about the Lord. You get them saved. And then you bring them to church. And then what happens? We start growing. And then as they come, I teach them the word of God. And then they get stirred up and they go out and they tell other people and they bring the people in. And then see what's happening. You're catching the fish and I'm cleaning them. Did you get that? Did you get what I just said? Actually, you have the most fun job, really. How many of you know catching fish is a lot easier than cleaning them? Didn't Jesus say, I'll make you fishers of men? What was he talking about? He was talking about the disciples becoming soul winners. I pray that everybody that, that is serious, that, that's here today, that, that you'd catch on fire and become a soul winner like you've never been in this year of 2011. Sharing the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ with people. If you don't have, listen to me, I'm speaking by the Holy Ghost here. Listen, if you don't have it burning on the inside of you to tell somebody else about the Lord, you need to check up on your Christianity. You need to check up on your walk with God. If you're not burning on the inside wanting to tell people about Jesus and get them saved and, 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 and all of that. If you, I mean, all, I'm talking to me too. It, that should be our heart's desire when we get up in the morning is how can we share the goodness of Jesus with somebody else? And, and friends, when we lose that, I tell you what, we're, 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 the, the fire's going out and, and we need to stir ourselves back up. Can anybody say amen? Come on, guys, let's let's get together and let's reach out to this community. But billboards alone won't do it. Mailings alone won't do it. It's all of us working together, telling people about Jesus and inviting them and getting them to come. And then you catch them and I'll clean them and we'll have a wonderful cycle start up. And, and I believe we can be a, a, both of these. We can be a church that's a soul winning church and a church that develops people. But I'm here today to tell you that if you don't take hold with me and, and we run with this, we're going to be sitting in 2012 if Lord the Lord tarries is coming and we'll be right back where we started and we won't be any further. I can't do this alone. I need your help. 
How many is going to help me? All right. Well, praise God. Now then, the fourth thing, there was five of these. The fourth thing that Barna noticed about the state of the church is this. The insistence on tolerance is winning over the Christian church. The insistence on tolerance. In other words, no, no teaching of right or wrong from the pulpit. We're going to put up with anything. No messages of correction, no messages of repentance. Just tell people what they want to hear. That's what's going on in this nation. Now, I'm sure there's, there's churches that aren't doing this, but Barna found, by and large, this is what's going on in this nation, is the insistence on tolerance is winning over the Christian church. Preachers won't go into pulpits and call, call sin, sin anymore. Because they don't want to offend anybody. They just want to tolerate everything. You see here in 2 Timothy 4.2, notice 2 Timothy 4.2. And by the way, did Jesus have a message of correction for the church in Revelation? Notice here, 2 Timothy 4.2, look at this. 2 Timothy 4.2, Amplified Bible. Herald and preach the word. He's talking to the preacher here. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are what? Is that the B-I-B-L-E talking? Now, is that all I'm supposed to do is just show up and tell you what's wrong with you? No, let's read on here and convince them. What's that next word? Rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and what? Well, there's the encouraging part. But actually, there's really more on rebuking, correcting, warning and urging than there is on encouraging. As a minister, I'm supposed to tell people in what way their lives are wrong. Now, I'm supposed to do it in love with the Word of God, but I'm supposed to do it nonetheless. I had one lady, and I've had, I've had multitudes of people tell me this, but I think of one lady. She got right up in my face, and she shook her finger one day in my face. She said, when I come to this church, all I want to hear is positive stuff, buddy. Did you ever want to hit somebody? I resisted the temptation. I had one lady about 75 years old when I was talking about, you know, reaching out and whatnot. And she got mad at me. I've never needed to use the security team, but she got mad at me one day. She was screaming and yelling at me back at the door. I thought I was going to need the security people to get a 75-year-old woman. Now, I haven't had a lot of those kinds of things happen, but I guess in some ways it kind of lets me know I'm doing my job. I, I mean, doesn't the Bible say we need to be watchful when all men speak well of you? See, when you flow with the Holy Spirit, people a lot of times aren't going to like it. But we can't worry about what people think. We have to worry about what God thinks. You know, I made a statement one time when visitors come or when anyone comes here, I want everybody to feel welcome. Everybody. But I don't want anybody to feel comfortable here until if they're a sinner, until they get saved. And if they're a Christian and they're backslidden and they're, they're not living on fire for God, I, I want them to feel welcome, but I do not want them to be comfortable until they get their life back right with the Lord. 
And then finally, so this tolerance, this tolerance, we're going to tolerate everything. We're going to tolerate everything. We're going to tolerate everything. That's not acceptable. But that's what's going on. Then the last thing, as a result of these four things we just mentioned that Barna found, this is the last one, the influence of the church on communities. Listen to this now. The influence of the church on communities Culture and individual lives is, for the most part, non-existent. He's saying that there's a lot of churches that aren't affecting their communities with the power of God. Now, as I've observed, I've seen some of the larger ones affect their cities But what are they calling them to when they walk in the doors of the church? They walk in the doors of the church and they can't tell they entered the church. Because the church doesn't look any different than the world. How many of you know the church ought to look different than the world? I'm not even, I'm talking to you about the physical, all right, but I'm talking about the spiritual atmosphere. How many of you know when you walk into a church, you ought to know you walked into a church? You ought to know because the presence of God is there. When you walk into a church, it shouldn't be just like when you walk into Walmart. Can you say amen? It shouldn't be just like when you walk into a bowling alley. It shouldn't be just like when you walk into a nightclub. My God, when you walk into the house of God, the presence of God ought to overwhelm you. Can anybody say amen? And yeah, there are some bigger churches that are affecting some cities. But but from my study of it, when, when, when the people walk through the doors, they can't tell that they've walked into the church. Did I walk into a church or did I walk into a nightclub? My God, a church ought to look like a nightclub. It ought to smell like a nightclub. It ought to look like a church. And the presence of God ought to be there. And you should know that when you walked into the church, that you've walked into the house of God. That's what I want this church to be. In Acts, the second chapter, on the day of Pentecost, the Christian Christian church took Christianity to the streets and turned them upside down. In Acts 17, the apostles took Christianity to the world and turned the world upside down. Do you think we might be able to take the power of God and the word of God and turn Fenton upside down? Do you think it's possible? Yeah, but pastor, Paul said, become all things to all men that you might win some. I understand that. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, certainly. But he was talking about learn how to relate to sinners. You don't have to become like them. There's a difference between relating to somebody and becoming like them. I do not believe we have to become like the world to win the world. We need to learn how to relate to them, all right, but we don't have to become partakers of what they're doing to win them. The Bible says we're a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. We ought to be a peculiar people. Why are we peculiar? Because we don't get drunk like everybody else. I said we don't get drunk like everybody. How many of you know Christians ought to be getting drunk? I said Christians ought to be getting drunk. I said Christians ought to be getting drunk. I said Christians ought to be getting drunk. I wonder why the Holy Ghost has me off on that. Maybe somebody needs to hear it. I said Christians ought to be getting drunk. Christians ought to be doing drugs. Christians ought to be uh, carousing around and sleeping around. Can you say amen? You understand that? 
And if you've been doing that, it's a day, it's an hour, it's a time. I'm standing here under the power of God calling you to repentance. I'm calling somebody in here. You need to repent before it's too late. Say, I'm a peculiar people. Yeah, I've always been peculiar. I've been peculiar since I got saved. When I got saved, I wouldn't go drink with the, with the guys. I wouldn't go do it. I wouldn't go sleep around with the, with the girls in high school. I wouldn't do it. They said, you're peculiar. Yeah, I'm peculiar. Why am I peculiar? Not because I'm better than anybody else, but I got washed in the blood of Jesus. I become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new and all things are of God. Now, have I, have I sinned? Have I sinned? Have I missed it? Haven't we all? But thank God. Now, I haven't missed it sexually, but, you know, since I've gotten saved, I've gossiped a time or two. I'm not proud of it, but thank God for the blood of Jesus. But as I've grown, as I've gotten older in spiritual things, I don't gossip. I don't want to talk bad about people. You know why? One reason I don't talk bad about people is because I don't want to reap what I sow. If I talk bad about somebody else, guess what? They're going to talk bad about me. How many's missed it since you got saved? How many is glad we can repent? Is the message of repentance just to the sinner or is it also to the church? It's also to the church. Jesus called the church there in Revelation. There was, there was, there was seven of them. He called five of them to repentance, didn't he? Stand with, stand with me if you would. In the presence of a holy God, I don't need the music today.